Asbury, and um, we believe in teamwork. Uh, it's a good place to have teamwork. And um, we want to thank, first of all, this community and others here at Alamo Heights that have made our work possible through their prayers, through their um, aspirations that we will be um, empowered by God to go out into our neighborhood and, and spread the good news as well as um, help people where they are uh, find Christ and uh, improve their their lives when they've hit, hit stumbling blocks. Um, I'm very grateful for that. I'm grateful for the financial support that this church has given us. I'm grateful for the encouragement and this church has given us in the vision of um, the Board of Stewards and David McNitsky and all the pastors here. It's a, it's a real honor. Uh, I've been at Asbury about a year now and it is, beyond my wildest dreams, the best place in the world to be. Uh, a, whether you're a pastor or whether you're a parishioner, it's just a wonderful place. Lives are being changed all the time. Broken people have learned that we are a safe place to come, that if we can help, we will. And we're always able to help with prayer. Janet Weatherston is our prayer guru and an excellent pastor. Uh, Finish local pastor school, the first course of study. That's a big celebration. And um, we're just, we are just eager to get to know our community and spread the love of God into that community. One example of what we're planning to do this fall just popped up yesterday. I was over at Edison at a wellness, uh, a wellness fair that Councilman Diego Bernal, District 1 of San Antonio, uh, hosted. And I met the guy in charge of the fire protection program at Edison. Now, these are high school kids who want to become firefighters in, in, in their line of work. And they have training for these kids. And Edison is a magnet school that trains a lot of other things. But they have training for these kids. And as we were talking, it became apparent that he was a Christian, too. And I said, well... You know, we really, we really partner with Edison to help provide things that maybe for one reason or another the families can't provide. And his face lit up like the sun, and he said, would you consider um, maybe donating some fire boots? They're black. They're just regular shoes. They're not those big things. But would your church consider that? Our kids are given their uniforms, but often because of family financial situations, they can't afford the boots. So I said, yeah, yeah, let me take it back, and we'll talk to Robert, and we'll, we'll see. Uh, and so I'm going to meet with the man this week and, and see if there's another way we might reach out into the community and love so that these kids will go on to fulfill their dreams of being firefighters here in San Antonio. So it's just one little thing we get to do, but it's always a joy when God brings us people uh, that, are, that are realizing that um, churches are more than services on Sunday. They're active, vital communities of people who care, and they want to, to help in a variety of different ways. So thank you for being partners in this with us. This morning I'm going to, uh, to read from the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John. I will be reading some selected verses, but I think we've got them on the screen. So if you would not mind, would you stand out of respect for the living word of God? 
A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary that later poured expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But the disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? And Jesus said, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of the world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant that Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Now I'm going to skip a few verses. Mary joins them, asks the same question, and... Um, they go on, and uh, Jesus asked them finally, Where have you put them, he said. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus burst into tears. The people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him? But someone said, This man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept his friend Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry at that as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll aside the stone, he said. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? 
So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that you will believe you, they will believe you sent me. And then Lazarus shout, Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen? Y'all may be seated. This is the key passage that John brings Jesus' ministry to a climax in. I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, even if you die, you will have eternal life. Have you ever, like Martha and Mary, in a part we didn't read, thought, Lord, if you had only acted, if you had only been present, such and such wouldn't have happened? For Martha and Mary, it's the loss of their brother. But we lose things, too. We have pain. We have heartache. And sometimes people find themselves thinking, and we might be those people, Lord, if you had only acted, God, if you had only been there, I wouldn't have gotten that divorce. I wouldn't have been in that car wreck. I wouldn't have had this happen or that happen. This person wouldn't have died. I spent some time arguing with God over this exact same thing. My mother had um, a dementia, and she was in a hospital with dementia for 12 years. She didn't really know me. She didn't really know anybody. But she was there alive. And while I love my mother, she lived while many other people, children, innocents, people who, who I thought had such hope in life, they, they died. Bad things kept happening. And I would say to God, why? Why are you letting my mother live when she has no quality of life and you are taking these souls when they have their whole lives in front of them? God, this doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I have to say that honestly, sometimes I didn't wait for an answer. I just got, I'm not going to talk to you now. I'm sorry. Don't want to talk to you anymore. I know you're there. I love you very much. I'm a pastor, but I can't, I can't talk to you about that anymore. The thing was, I knew God didn't live, leave me. That he has purposes that are not my purposes. And he has timing that is not my timing. And sometimes we get to see that. Sometimes we get to understand that. And sometimes we don't. But he never quits being the resurrection and the life. He never left my side as I went through that time with my mother. Whether she knew me or yelled at me or whatever she was doing that day, he strengthened me. He took me to her side. He kept us together. He was with me. I don't know the other part of the story. I don't have to. But he was ever present, giving me that hint of eternal life today. And Martha confesses that although Lazarus has died, and he wouldn't have died if Jesus was there, 
Still, Jesus is the Messiah, and he can do all things. And in that, she's acknowledging, okay, I don't understand, but in my uncertainty, help me. Well, we learn from the story that in order to, to, to get on to the same, what would you say, the same stream that the Holy Spirit's on with us, the same stream that Jesus is moving in, we have to recognize that his timing is just not our timing. It's just not. We hear in the story that he purposely stayed two extra days, so there'd be a total of four days before he reached Bethany from Judea. His timing wasn't just to extend it and stay a couple of extra days out of out in the the uh, by the lake, but his timing did two things. It allowed for the Jews that had gathered at Lazarus's home to understand that Lazarus was really dead. There was a common understanding at that time that the soul hovered around the body for three days, hoping that there would be some sort of life-bringing change. And in the fourth day, the soul went on. So on the fourth day, there was no hope of resurrection. The person was really dead. Jesus knew that and allowed people to get to that point so that God's glory would be shown. The second thing Jesus knew was that by returning to Jerusalem, he was beginning to set off the chain of events that would lead to his own death and resurrection. The timing of his hour that John talks about all the time in his gospel. So he was moving with God's purposes back to Jerusalem to show God's glory when he resurrected Lazarus, who was really dead. And to initiate the timing that would lead to his own death. Jesus has to move with God's purposes. He is one with the Father, and he seeks to please God in all that he does. Well, in the same way, we need to get in line with God's purposes. God's purposes to bring new life. God's purposes to, uh, to bring, or God's timing. God's timing to bring new life. God's timing to reverse the things that sin has done on us. So, sorry, I confused with purposes in life. Purposes comes up in a minute. But um, Jesus' timing brings him back at exactly the right time. The second is purposes, and they are so closely bound together, it's hard to separate one from the other. But Jesus' purposes are huge, and they are God-sized purposes. Martha and Mary wanted Jesus to come back so that he could keep Lazarus from dying, just as he had healed other people who were dying, as he had healed those bound by sin, as he had healed people at the side of the road that caught his attention. He had healed so many. They knew that he could heal their brother. But his purpose, again, was not in just a healing, a small healing that showed that God's power was working in him. This time, the purpose was to show that although someone died, this is the tricky part, although someone died and was good and dead, they would have a new life. Lazarus was to demonstrate to people 
that not all the life that we have here, not day-to-day life that we have is all there is, that ultimately we will lose that life. But that life is only part of our lives. As Chris said, there was a God-shaped void. Our whole life is made when God puts new life into us. New life that brings a fullness that is God-focused and God-led into our lives. I hope that wasn't too confusing. I separated it better earlier, and I do apologize. Um, But the timing and purposes of God are revealed in Jesus Christ. Now, it's important for us to understand that the timing and purposes are life-giving. They are loving. They are intended to show the glory of God. And they are intended to reverse the damage that is done by sin. And how do we recognize God's purposes in our life? How do we, as we enter a situation where we're saying, Why, God, why did that happen? Or if you'd only acted, it would have been different. How do we do that? Well, I think most of you all know that the basic thing you do is to be very familiar and read scripture. God's word is alive right here. And it reveals to you through the power of the Holy Spirit how God is working, when God is working, and how we can join in being the people of God working together. Through scripture, we are enlightened to be the people of God and do the things Jesus did. He did them through God, and he learned of what he should do through prayer. Although he was truly human and truly God, and we are mostly human and not God, through prayer we are still clued in to God's purposes and timing. Through prayer we understand God's movements better. It is not just our plans and our goings on that take precedence, but the overall story that God's working out here, right here at New Heights. This is the important thing. So your second tool is prayer. You've got your scripture. You've got your prayer. And I want to add a third tool to your toolbox on learning how God works. And that's to have an accountability partner. If you have an accountability partner, it's a fellow Christian that is walking that walk and trying to stay on track. And as accountability partners, you keep your partner in line and your partner keeps you in line. I'll give you an example. I have accountability partners. Guys get guys, women get women. They're always, they always do that. Um, but my accountability partner was having a problem. And she was having a problem over and over again. And we'd talk about, well, what do you think? You know, and we'd go back and forth. Being women, we could talk for a long time. Well, finally, one day, I felt God urging me to say, quit doing that and start doing this. And I don't really like to do that, but God kept urging me and urging me it's time. Because if she can't solve this problem, bigger problems are going to come up. So I told her, I need to let you know, I think you can no longer do any of that that you're doing and hope to make a difference. It's not going to make a difference. I think it's going to cause more harm than good. Stop doing that completely and start doing this other. 
because we have a long-term relationship, she said, okay, I'll try that. And she did. And she had some strange and, and interesting results, but very positive results. And as a, as a, she came back and she said, I have hardly wait, I can hardly wait to tell you again what happened. I really saw the whole situation for what it was. God revealed it to me, and I don't want to have any part of that. Why? I just don't want to have any part of that. Accountability partners can see the situation we're in better than we can. And as we try to follow God and take on new ministries and, and do the prayer that um, we're called to do and read our scripture and go out in life and our jobs and everything and do things... Your accountability partner will encourage you and will strengthen you through prayer. And you, in turn, will strengthen your partner to where following God becomes um, much easier with two. Because we know when two two or three are gathered together, God is there too. I feel like my time with my accountability partner is probably some of the best time I spend every week. And I am lost when I can't make it, when for some reason our jobs interfere and we can't make it. So I would, I would say these three things are the keys, the basic keys to following God's timing and purposes and greater plan. Scripture, all the time scripture. Prayer, all the time prayer. And someone to keep you on track. Someone that you keep on track. You learn a ton through the other person, and it is, it is an amazing blessing. Martha had not lost hope because she said, Christ, you can do all things. I know you are the Messiah. I know you are the one. And Jesus then demonstrates God's power by calling Lazarus to full life. He brings what is truly dead And wrapped up, unfree to go, he brings that to life. And that's what Jesus does through the power of the Holy Spirit for us. We are brought to life. When we are the deadest, when we are the most bound, he brings us back to life. When hope is gone or we are in such despair because something happened and didn't seem like God was there. In fact, he brings us back to life. At this time in the, in the, uh, the time of the world in history, the, some of the Jews believed that, in fact, there was an ultimate resurrection. And Martha says that, yeah, there'll be one down the road. What Jesus does here is show, no, it's not down the road. It's here now, and he grabs the future and drags it into the present. And he says, no. Life, full life, is now. And we see that finally played out in his death and resurrection, where God quashes the power of sin and death and brings Jesus back to life. Here we see just a foreshadowing. But that faith and hope that Martha has is enough to have Jesus work. And we must have that faith. Just a little seed of faith. In that, Jesus will work to give life, full life, here and now.
I'll close with a, a story, an Asbury story. I'm going to start writing them. They asked me if I'd write them and put them out on the, internet, on the uh, city, and I said, yeah. Um, early on, as God was drawing us out to uh, partner with community, other, other communities in the area, we were drawn, Robert in particular was drawn over to Edison High School. And he found the social worker and, um, and said, hey, you know, we'd like to help. What can we do? We don't have any idea, but God had brought him there. So it turned out the social worker was also a Christian and, and understood what we were trying to do. So she said, the kids need uniforms. Oftentimes, because they're on their own or they, um, they are bouncing from one place to another, um, they, they outgrow their uniforms and there's no one to pay for them. And in fact, we had one young man who had outgrown his uniform and he was living on his own and there was no one to pay for it. Um, and we were able to help him. But in this story, um, I'm going to tell you about a young woman who we got called that day uh, that Robert was there and, and she needed uniform because she was pregnant and her old pants didn't fit her. She was unmarried. She was no longer living at home. She was living with another family. She had no food. She had no clothes. She had no nothing. So I picked her up, and she figured out I was a pastor, and I was going to go get her clothes. But this was kind of a surprise to her that out of the blue, this woman from a church, she'd never met me, didn't know me from Adam, was now going to go do this, but she was very grateful. So we go to Target and we get the clothes, and it turns out she loves Subway sandwiches. So we get Subway sandwiches, and um, and then uh, I, I take her to where she's living. She keeps saying, I can ride the bus, and I said, it's 6.30 at night. I'm not going to have you riding the bus all over in the cold, and it was winter. So I take her there, and I meet the woman who's in charge of that household, and, uh, and, and so it, it works out okay. Well, I said, here's my phone number. Keep in touch. So turns out she's just like many young people. She texts a lot. So we began texting. And as, as things progressed, she was able to help me get to know other young mothers over at Edison. And she and I became better friends. Well, it, as we prayed and as she came, began to come to church, I mean, she wanted to come to church. So I picked her up and took her to church. Um, she, she began to pray, and we'd pray with her, and her life began to change. And the, the young man who's the father, their family just, his family just loved her. They made a place for her in their home. She was able to move out of the, the friend's home. She asked me if I could help her with food stamps and, and with WIC because it was her plan to continue and graduate from high school. So I did that. And she's on her own. Um, I took her shopping for baby things. I got her um, hooked up with uh, the registry at Target so we could have a baby shower. We gave her a baby shower. We worked with her family and and did that. And she said to me one day as we're doing all this, um, she said, you know, when I met you, I had no hope. I had no food. I had no place to live. I had no family. And she said, you showed me 
there's hope. And my life is good. And I said to her, that's the way God works. God is present in those situations that are the bleakest when you feel there's nothing. And God works. And through her prayers and our prayers and maybe your prayers, I don't know. She is a happy young woman. She's making plans to have the baby later this month. She's asked me if I'll be the godmother and do the baptism. So I don't know which hat I'll have on when I get to do that. She and her uh, fiancé come to church at our church when they can. They don't. They have transportation problems, so I usually have to go get her. Um, I feel like she's part of our family. And I feel like I'm part of hers. And this is the family of God. God is with us in our darkest time. Sometimes through the power of other Christians. Sometimes through the power of prayer. Sometimes through a word of scripture. But God never lets us go. Just never lets us go. And even though his timing is not our timing and his purposes are not our purposes, we can learn what, they, what his timing is through prayer. We can learn that. We can learn his purposes. And we can be the hands and feet of Christ that empower people in the world who have lost hope to live in hope. And they, in turn, take it out from them and spread it into the community. I was talking to the young woman yesterday. I took her to lunch along with her boyfriend and now her sister. So the community's growing. It's really great. And uh, and I, I, she was talking to me and she goes, I can hardly wait till the baby's born because we'll start bringing her to church. And we really want to do that. And um, you know, we're just looking forward to being part of this family. That's the power of the resurrection. That's the power of eternal life. It brings us life in us right now. God's life in us through the Spirit. And it empowers us to spread that news. And I, I pray that you will spread the news in your own way as God calls you in your own ministries. That people may have hope. And have it abundantly. It looked pretty bleak when uh, Jesus returned to uh, Jerusalem because the plot to kill him got a lot stronger and was really empowered when he raised Lazarus from the dead. For some reason or another, um, that just ticked off everybody. Raising someone from the dead, giving them life, giving them hope. Why? You just don't do that. And so the plot to kill Jesus was put into place. But Jesus was ready. He'd prayed. He'd been in touch with the Father. He was guiding the events. And so he wanted this to be remembered in a particular way, these events. He wanted people to have a tangible way to understand that he was dying for them. And then he was brought to life again for them. And as such, they were going to share in that second life. So he gathered his disciples, his closest followers around the day before he would give himself up or the night before he would give himself up. And he took bread and he gave thanks to God and then he broke the bread 
And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the supper continued, and then after supper he took the cup. Again he gave thanks to God, and then he said, Drink from this cup, all of you. This is my blood in the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Well, it was for, he said, for you and for many when he gave the cup to the disciples. And he meant the twelve there and us. We're the many. We're his disciples. We're his friends. We're the ones who can do the work that he no longer does because he's not here in human form. And yet he empowers each one of us because his spirit lives in us. And so, if you'll pray with me, we'll ask that that spirit really fill us. And as we take this 